good indeed to be gathered together in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us together now receive the call to worship this evening from the book of Psalms, chapter 34. Psalm 34, verses 1 to 5. This is God's word. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Amen. Amen. Please take up your hymnals as we join in singing hymn number 400, more familiar tune, 400, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. If you're able, please stand to sing. Please remain standing and turn back to hymn number 89, Come Thou Almighty King, number 89.
You may be seated. Let us now as a body come together before our great God in prayer. Let us pray. Our loving, eternal, heavenly Father, we come into your holy presence on this evening hour and this your day with reverence and awe for the great God that you are. Lord, you indeed are our rock and our strong tower, and it's to you this evening we come in much need. Lord, you're the one who created this world, and you are the one who sustains it. And this evening hour we come in need of your help, even as we lay ourselves before you and worship you, the one true and the living God. You indeed are the God of yesterday, today, and forever. You are the great I am. You are the God who came down to that mountain and in your love and in your kindness give forth those commands that we will think of in a few moments. You indeed are a good and a merciful God. But you are also a God of justice. You are indeed the three times holy God. And when we think of those things, we see just how much we fall short. Lord, even this past week, this very day, these very hours, O oh Lord, when we have both in, in thought and in word, and even by our actions with our hands, O oh Lord, have sinned against you. Perhaps we've come in here, O oh Lord, and our minds are elsewhere. Perhaps we have angry spirits within us, or we have resentments, or there is a many, many different things, O Lord. This evening, are we come and we ask that you would forgive us. It is only through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that we can even come into your presence this evening. And for those of us who are found in Christ, how we have access to the very throne room of heaven. Because left to ourselves, we indeed are a sinful and rotten people. And so this evening we ask that you would forgive us. Lord, you know us. You know us better than even we know ourselves at times. Help us not to play fast and loose with our sins. Help us to guard our tongues to guard our minds, to guard our hearts. Help us to live lives that are pleasing to you according to your word. Lord, your word has told us, it encourages us that we do not confess our sins without any hope, but we confess our sins in the one true and living God who gives us hope, and that through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you tell us that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so we pray these promises to you this evening for every head that is bowed, 
for those that know you. But Lord, we think of those that know you not. You know those that are here, even those that are watching at home online. You know where they stand before you. And so this evening we pray that salvation would come to lost sinners. Even as we sing and as we read and as we pray and your word goes forth, Lord, we pray that you would unstop deaf ears, that you would take blindness from those who are blind to you, and that you, O Lord, would give them a new heart. Lord, we praise and thank you for even this day that you've given us, this one day in seven that we can set aside those things that take up the rest of our time to come in here to worship you on the whole day. We pray, O Lord, that we would come in here with gratitude in our hearts, with a desire to come and worship with you, with a yearning to hear your word as it goes forth. And Lord, this evening we give you thanks for that very things. You indeed are a good God, and you give us more than even we deserve. Today we have not starved. Today we have not lacked water. Today, none of us run around naked, as it were. You have given us so, so much. And Lord, this evening, we give you thanks for these and many, many more. If we were to count all of our blessings, indeed, we would be here all night and all week, and in fact, all the rest of our lives, because indeed, you are a good God. And this evening, we come and we pray for our church. We pray for the needs that are gathered in here even this evening, for those that would long to be here and yet are prohibited through sickness and illness. We pray, O Lord, that you would raise them up to good health once again. We even think of those who are traveling this week, and we ask that you would go before them. Prepare their going out. Prepare their coming in, O Lord, and may it be that that all the traveling would go well. Lord, we think of those who are sick for longer. And again, tonight we pray for little Charlotte. Lord, we thank you for the stable progress that this little one is making, and yet she is still in need of a heart. And so we pray, O Lord, that we would petition your throne more in these days for this little one. We do pray for Mark and Nicole. We ask that you would be near to them. Even as the days turn into months, we ask, O Lord, that they would not lose heart in any way but that they would be strengthened and girded up in you first and foremost, and then the prayers and encouragements of the saints here and further afield. Lord, we pray for our AGM in a few moments. We ask that you would go before us. Help us, O Lord, in this year to be wise, to listen, to observe, to seek counsel, and to do that which is pleasing to you, our great and our glorious God. Lord, we pray that we would have unity together, that we would love and care for one another just as you have for us. And may it be that all of our words, both now and then, would be to your glory and to your honor. And it's in your Son's precious and holy name we ask all these things. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles this evening in our consecutive readings to Psalm 90. Psalm 
Psalm 90, and we're going to read together verses 1 through 17. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. I've never been very good at setting the kitchen table. For many years, my mom would try to teach me how to do it, but I would always do it wrong, sometimes on purpose and sometimes out of haste. Sadly, the times on purpose, I thought to myself, if I didn't get it right, perhaps I'd get it out of having to do it. And yet, you know me, I'm an only child, so there was no other children to pass it along to, and so it was left to me. 
I don't set the table very often, even in my own home. That's a gift that's given to my wife, and she sets fabulous kitchen tables. For me, I just throw the plates and the silverware on the table, and if you're lucky, you get a napkin. If you're not, well, use your shirt tail. Napkin gets dropped, and everything is absolutely chaotic. So if I invite you to my house in the next two to three weeks, when my wife is gone on wheels... Please excuse the kitchen table. I will try my best. But this evening, it's my aim to set the table for our new series on the Ten Commandments. And I stand here shaking. I don't want to be sloppy about this vast subject. I want to, with care, carefully lay things in the right place putting the utensils in the right place so that we as a congregation in the next number of months can dig into what is and what shall be, Lord willing, a fabulous meal. Why? Why the Ten Commandments? Recent polls have shown that 80% of Americans claim to believe the Ten Commandments. But only 14 can actually name them. Even fewer from that 14 consider keeping them. For Americans, what we are, the Ten Commandments are not set in stone. If we were to take a quiz, I'd like to ask all of us to name them right now. I won't. For some, it's their catechism answer, and so they could ream it off very well. But for others, we might struggle. But the Ten Commandments have influenced our country and the laws of our nation more than any other document. One person has noted that they have been a positive good wherever nations have enforced them and people have actually followed them. Whenever nations and people have disregarded them, it has only meant moral and social decay. James Madison, our fourth president, made this statement. We stake the future of this country on our ability to govern ourselves under the principles of the Word of God, where the Ten Commandments are contained. Brothers and sisters, this evening, I'm afraid we are in grave trouble. Because while searching and starting this series, two startling stats came from all the research. 74% of Americans will steal from those who won't miss it. 64% will lie, sure, as long as no one gets hurt. As a country and as a nation, we have moved so far from what is right and what is wrong. And the motto of our country in these days is, if it feels good, do it. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. In the last verse of the book of Judges summarizes the situation in our society in these days, where it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, 
and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The nation that we live in has thrown away the king and it has thrown away his commands to our own detriment. And before we start as a church patting ourselves on the back and thinking, well, that wouldn't be us, a church would never do that, waken up. Churches in our days have capitulated as well. I came across a cartoon of a church sign that they meant to be humorous. And I can tell you when I read it, it did not make me laugh. The Light Church. 24% fewer commitments. Home of the 7.5% tithe. 15-minute sermons. 45-minute worship services. We only have eight commandments and you can pick whichever one you like. We only have three spiritual laws and their catchphrase was everything you've wanted in a church and less. That is our church in these days. At Grace Reformed, We don't want to be a light church. As a church, we should desire to burn bright as we make disciples, gathering people in, going out with the gospel. For what? For the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, there is such a thing as right and wrong. The Ten Commandments are those guide rails to help us. Abortion is not just a harmless choice. It's a violation of the Sixth Commandment where it says, You shall not murder. Marriage vows are sacred because marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman for life. It's not man and man or woman and woman or whatever they have these days. It's one man and one woman. The fourth commandment, the hot potato that people like to throw around, it's the Lord's day. It's not just an hour or, as this church would say, a 15-minute sermon. It's the whole day. Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 and verse 1. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rehadim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings 
and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak, to, speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down out of Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke off it went up like the smoke of a kindling, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the, peep, to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Amen. This is God's holy word. In reading Exodus chapter 19, we cannot get to the Ten Commandments before setting them in its place. And in order to set the table with the two tablets this evening, we're going to focus on four key words from that which we just read. Those words are redemption, 
relationship, reverence, and requirements. And those four words are actually my four headings this evening. And so first of all, redemption. We find that in Exodus 19, 1 through 2, where we read and it reminds us of how God redeemed his people. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. After serving as slaves in Egypt for 400 years, God raised up Moses to to lead the Israelites out of captivity. Seven different times, Moses spoke to Pharaoh with these words from God, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me, that they may make a feast to me in the wilderness. God sent ten plagues. God led the people out of Egypt. He led them through the Red Sea when it seemed that the Egyptians were coming to get them again. They were hungry. And they were thirsty. And these were their first companions. And we find even after all of seeing the plagues, even after seeing them go through the Red Sea, first opportunity, they grumbled and they complained. But God mercifully met their needs with living water and food from heaven. But the people continued to complain and gripe as they craved a feast in the wilderness. After arriving at Moriah where the water was bitter, the people came to an oasis and then entered that wilderness of Sinai. We read that they were encamped before the mountain. Previously, Moses had been here. He'd met God in the burning bush. We read that in Exodus 3.12, where God right there had promised one day, one day in this exact spot, we will worship together again. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Exodus 3 verse 12. In Exodus 19, Moses went up and down the mountain three different times to meet with God and to bring messages to God's people. It's on this mountain that God brings the Ten Commandments to his people. And it's there that God helps and enables us. Why? Do you ever remember Egypt? Not the country far away, but a time when you were far from God. A time when you were in your sins and God was far from you. Do you ever stop and think of those times? Why? Because it reminds you how good God truly is. It was God who brought the people out. It was God who took them through the Red Sea. It was God who gave them manna in the wilderness. It was God who made that water that was bitter sweet. It was God who gave these people the commands for them to follow. It was God who delivered. Not Moses, 
Not Aaron, not the people themselves, but God. Because before Israel can pledge allegiance to Yahweh alone, she must remember. She must remember where she's come from. She must remember indeed that she is a redeemed people. That redemption is hers and brothers and sisters. That is the same for us this evening. God has delivered you. God has given you that new heart. And it's God that helps you obey these commands. Secondly, relationship. Do you ever feel like you're on eagle's wings? Do you ever feel like you're a treasured possession? Do you ever look at yourself as a kingdom of priests? You should. We read Psalm 90 this evening. God makes no mistakes. We're there in Psalm 90, we're reminded of our great God. And here in Exodus, Moses writes for us that we are born on eagles' wings. It was God who did all the work as he swooped in, like that eagle going after its prey, and he grabbed it, and he lifted those people out of bondage, and he held them on to himself. But think of that picture of the eagle. It's also that tender picture of how an eagle pushes that that little chicklet out of the nest. But the eagle just doesn't turn its back and walk away. No, what does it do? It follows beneath. Why? So that if that little bird ever gives up, if that little bird is ever struggling, it's flapping at wings and it's really not getting anywhere that it will protect it and guide it and have be born on eagles wings listen to the lyrics of Moses song from Deuteronomy 32 where he says like an eagle that stirs up its nest so you got that stirring up you've got those little Eaglets being shoved out, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. Brothers and sisters, you are this evening being born on eagles' wings. But more than that, you are a treasured possession. That phrase refers to a king's like private treasure box or his personal stash. Deuteronomy 4.20, it says, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. That's you this evening. A treasured possession. If I was to ask you in the scale of 1 to 100 how you felt, Not that we really always go on our feelings, but do you feel like a treasured possession? Some might say, oh, yes. And some might say, no. Can I encourage you this evening? 
If you are found in Christ, the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Even in Exodus 19, there is hope for us as believers this evening. But it also speaks of kingdom of priests. And priests had this special access. They, they served as mediators and prayed for others. But God's desire would be that we would take the good news to the nations. This idea is picked up in 1 Peter 2.9, which refers to Christians today when it says, But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you feel like a royal priesthood this evening? Do you feel like a holy nation? That nation set apart for God, for sacred purposes. Leviticus 20, 26, where it says, You shall be holy for me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. You are God's people. You have a relationship with the one true and living God. Doesn't that excite you this evening? Doesn't that bring you much comfort? Perhaps it's just me. But when I read these things, it reminds me of who I am and who God is. I can do all things through what? Through Christ who strengthens me. This evening, so often we look at ourselves. And we think, well, what can I do? What can Moses or Aaron do? Nothing. It was God who delivered. It was God who redeemed. It was God who brings us into that relationship. But thirdly, there is a reverence. He expects his people to revere him. There is so much in verses 9 through 25. We'd be here till midnight. But what are some of the highlights? They were told to wash their clothes. They were told... Stay away from the mountain. They were told to abstain from intimacy. They were told to prepare. They were told to do so with great reverence and awe. Such careful preparation underscored the significance that we read in verses 16 through 20. Think of how all of the senses were engaged. The deafening thunder and a loud trumpet blast which grew louder and louder. The ear. 
flashing lightning which lit up the thick darkness. Their eyes. The smell of the smoke as from a furnace. Their nose. The mountain trembling. Their touch. These people could hear and see and smell and probably virtually taste the fire as they felt that earth shake and quake under their very feet. This was to show them who God was. No man could do this. No pyrotechnics could do these things. Verse 12 adds that God set limits on the mountain in order to communicate, keep your distance or you will die. Twice we read if the people didn't follow that God would break out against them. It means to burst forth. The last time that God had manifested himself like like this was in Genesis 19 when he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. This week I was challenged by a post that I read. And I say this reverently. And the guy kept talking about big daddy God. Brothers and sisters, we take God way too lightly. We treat him flippantly. We are too busy saying we in the church than we should be saying woe is me. The weightiness, the gravity, the all-encompassing, all-inspiring glory of the Creator God, the great I Am, is woefully, woefully neglected in far, far too many places. Is it here? Do we neglect God? When we come here, Why are you here? What brought you to church on a Sunday evening? Is it to come and worship and awe and in splendor our great God? Or is it to hang out with your mates? Think of how God vaporized Nahab and Abihu for offering strange fire. Gone. How Uzzah was extinguished for daring to touch the Ark of the Covenant. How the children of Israel weren't even allowed to go near a mountain for fear of God breaking out against them. This is a serious Serious matter in our day, brothers and sisters. We cannot and must not be irreverent, bored, passive, or even worse, come to God on our terms. Most of us, if not all of us, are way too casual with God. And I'm the first to raise my hand. We don't take his commands or his commissions seriously enough. God is mighty. God is marvelous. 
God indeed is a good, good God. But he is a holy God. A three times holy God. A God who is to be revered and honored. Perhaps you're thinking, well, that's just Old Testament people. That doesn't apply to me. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do we at Grace Reformed Baptist have acceptable worship? Are we worshiping God according to what he has commanded in Scripture? When we come up those stairs, are we coming with reverence and awe to a God who has redeemed us? A God who we have a relationship with? I'm convicted of this myself. And I preach this to myself first and foremost. Do we come prepared to the worship of God? Do we come with hearts in that ground tilled up? Or do we come in rushing? Do we come in unprepared? Do we come in here because it's just the thing we do on a Sunday? Or do we come with eyes that awake on a Sunday morning with excitement and joy? That might not be every week. Trust me, there are many weeks that I love to close my eyes and go back to sleep. But we should be coming with joy. We should be coming to worship the one true and living God. Our God. A God who has redeemed us and a God who we have relationship with. And as we do, we come with reverence and with awe. Fourthly, requirements. The Ten Commandments, as a quote, are not instructions on how to get out of Egypt. They are rules for free people to stay free. God said, I hear your cry. I will save you because I love you. And when you are saved, free and forgiven, I'm going to give you a new way to live. They're guardrails. They're guides. The Ten Commandments are good. Our children know them. Our children know the commandments. They've been woven into memory verses and handbooks and Sunday school teaching materials. As a church collective together, we too need to know these commands. Just quoting these commandments doesn't mean that we're living any closer to to keeping them. But we must know them in order to grow in our obedience to them. Do we know them here in our hearts? Many of us could ream them off. But do we live our lives according to what they are? 
If you ever have an opportunity to come with me to Northern Ireland, which I would love to own an airplane and take you all there. On the coast, there is a sign. It says, jump if you dare. It's right at the edge of a cliff. Jump if you dare. Kind of an ironic sign. And then on the back of it, it says, too late, you're silly. Is that what we do with the commandments? We see them. We know them. And we disregard them. We need to know these in our hearts. We need to enable and equip others to know them as well. As we continue to set the table this evening, don't get too excited. The next sermon won't be delving into the first one. There's a number of placemats and utensils that need to be set. But what are some other observations about these commandments this evening? In Hebrew, these commandments are called ten words. Decalogue, daka, meaning ten, and log refers to words. And in these ten words, God, God commands and shows us his character. When we look upon this law, we see God's glory. We see his greatness. We see his goodness. Deuteronomy 5.24 says, The Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. These commands mark Israel as God's chosen people. Psalm 147, 19 through 20, he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dwelt, he has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Like I said, God's commands are good guardrails for life. It is God who knows what is best for us. And so he has set up guardrails that we are not to cross. And as such, they should bring us delight and not fright. Psalm 1 verse 2, but his delight is the law of the Lord. They were given by God. Exodus 31, 18, and he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. These ten words come from the Almighty God himself. They're not to be hidden just for you, no. They're to be passed on to that next generation. Deuteronomy 6, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, and the Lord, and the Lord brought us out, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. Parents, teach them to your children. Impress these instructions upon them. They are given from God to help and to guide. And so I asked you, and this is a very important question, 
Are the Ten Commandments relevant for today? Are the ten words of God binding for Christians today? How you answer them will be very prominent in the next number of months when I preach. Because if you say no, you most likely fall asleep and not listen. But if you answer yes, you will see that these are giving, given to us for many different things. They're given to us as a map. The commands guide our conduct and our lives. They're to enable and help us how to live like God wants us to. Psalm 119 and verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. They're like a muzzle. God's law keeps us from living lawlessly. It's that deterrent which keeps our depravity in check. It's that mirror that's set in front of us. God's standard shows us our sins. The more we see them, the more we see our sins. The more we try not to do things, the more we see ourselves actually doing them because that mirror has been shone in our face. Romans 7, 7 says, Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. They're like a mentor. These commands, children, young children, you young men at the back, they're not like rungs on a ladder. They're not like that ladder that you must climb one after another to get you to heaven. No, they are not. They're to show us our need of someone. Calvin writes this about this chapter in Exodus 19 and going into chapter 20 when he says, Moses had no other intention than to invite all men To go straight to Christ. One of the purposes of God's command. Is to show us how short we fall of God's standards. Even if we keep some of them some of the time. Even if we keep most of them most of the time. It's never enough. In James 2 verse 10, James writes this, For whoever keeps the whole law but feels in one point has become guilty of all of it. If you come to me at the back door this evening and you say, Pastor Merv, I've kept all ten, I will say, I'm sorry, you've broke one because you've just told me a lie. You've broken the ninth commandment. And since these ten words are important, and yet at the same time it's impossible, and you may go, well, what in the world am I going to do now? God wants us to follow one individual. One individual in history who kept every single one of them completely. 
Our Lord Jesus Christ is the only person who has ever lived or will ever live a perfect life and perfectly followed the law of God. You see, a mirror can show you you're dirty. Many times when our kids eat eggs in the morning, we like them runny. If you're a hard-boiled egg person, I'm sorry, you may not like the culinary breakfast at our house. But we like our leg, eggs runny, and what happens? It gets on your face, gets on your shirt. Worse even, it gets on your hands. And as parents, we say, go clean your mouth. And the child will grab that cloth and look in the mirror and wipe it. You see, when you look in that mirror and you find that your face is dirty, you don't reach and take that mirror off the wall and start rubbing it. In order to approach a holy God who, according to 1 Timothy 6.16, dwells in unapproachable light, one needs a mediator. God chose Moses in the Old Testament on a temporary basis. But now the Messiah, who is the mediator, the perfecter of all these things, has come. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. These ten words were not given to remedy our sins. We cannot keep them. But it was to reveal our sins. It was to look in that mirror and to see who we are and to point us to the one, the only one who can help us. The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ kept the whole law. He went to the cross on our behalf. He suffered the penalty we deserved for not keeping God's law. How far have we strayed from these things, brothers and sisters? How far? How far have I? How far have you? Well, as a nation, we have fallen greatly. On Good Friday of 2021, with great fanfare and razzmatazzle under very tight security, in the gaze of a great televised audience, twenty-two of Egypt's pharaohs were moved to their new home in the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization. The eighteen kings and four queens were transported with great pageantry. They were brought out in chronological order of their reigns. But what struck me the most was the startling and stunning contrast of that escapade. Here were the mummified remains of rulers of Egypt. Men and women who once were regarded as gods. Being moved from one resting place to another. On Easter weekend. The contrast couldn't have been any greater. The timing was actually magnificent. The very next morning. 
And good on the Sunday morning, Christians all over the globe met to celebrate another king. Another king leaving his tomb. Not dead, but alive. Not being moved, but moving full of life. And unlike 22 false gods, this one really was and is and ever shall be the one true living God. A parade of dead kings on Easter weekend that celebrates the resurrection of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There they lie in broken mummified remains while he is risen and exalted. An ironic twist could be that one of those pharaohs may have been the one who said to Moses in Exodus 5 verse 2, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And yet, there he lies, lifeless and a corpse. The days of the pharaohs are long gone. But the question that Pharaoh asked that day hangs on the lips of so many. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Think of the resurrection. That is who this Lord is. He is the one who triumphs. And before whom, not just pharaohs, but kings and queens and presidents and all of you, every single one of you, will one day bow the knee to. On that day which the resurrection guarantees, Christ will return. And every eye will turn heavenwards. And every knee will bow and everyone will see that indeed he is worthy of obeying. That spectacle that the world put on for the pharaohs will be nothing. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should obey his ten words that he has written? He is the King of Kings. He is risen from the dead. And He is the Lord of Lords. But that admission needs to be made today. For in the day when He returns, it will be too late to say those things. This one who obeyed these ten words perfectly must be given his rightful place in our lives. Front and center. We should say, my king and my lord. He is the only king to defeat death and he is the only king who gives life. There is none like him. In the book Gentle and Lowly, which I would highly recommend, 
there's one quote that jumped out at me. The Christian life boils down to two steps. Number one, go to Jesus. Number two, see number one. I ask you this evening, how do you stand before a holy God? If that trumpet that those Israelites heard on that day was to begin to blow this evening, how would you stand? Because when that trumpet starts, it's too late. The Word of God tells us that today is the day of salvation. We cannot keep these ten words perfectly. We try and we fail. Here we come to the one who cleanses us from our sins. The one who helps us and aids us. Over these next few months, the table will be open. But will we eat the food that is given? I use the analogy of a table. Why? Because sometimes someone sets something down in front of us that we do not like. As a young boy, I absolutely detested mushroom soup. Horrid. And we would go to this lady's house. I'll not mention her name because you all know her. She doesn't go to this church, thankfully. But she would set down mushroom soup in front. And I'd look at my dad. And his words were, swallow fast. There are times when things are preached that we do not like. There are times when our sins are pressed upon from the pulpit or even in our own public or private devotion. But I ask you, what will you do with this table? We may know these commands. And we may think we know what all of they mean. But sometimes they prick us to the very core. That's what they're intended to do. They're guardrails. Do you ever see a car smack into the guardrail? Mostly it deflects away from it. And the danger is averted. The ten words from a holy God are good. They're not a stick to beat us with, no matter what people would say. They are good and they are right. And they show us how much we need our God. Years ago, while listening to little Jack Seaton from Scotland, he gave an analogy, and with this we'll close. He gave the analogy of a young boy going up to a butcher's window in Scotland. And he asked the young boy to write up the Ten Commandments on that window. You guys don't have it here, but in Scotland and Ireland and England big massive butcher's windows where they would hang all the meat and you could see everything before you would buy it. And so the young boy would go up and he would write all of the ten commands. 
And the analogy was given. The stone was handed to the little boy. And the man says, just knock out the one that you can't keep. We can't keep any of them. Only Christ has and can. And so, brothers and sisters, as we set at the table, next time we will set it further. Are these word, these ten words for us? Oh yes, they are. They were then in the book of Exodus. They were and are for us, and they were and shall be forevermore. The question I ask is, as we leave, will we obey? Will we seek the help from God as we go through this study to learn, to develop, perhaps even being challenged? But will we obey the word of God? Why? Because as the psalmist rightly says, the law of the law of God was his delight. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. Lord, indeed, we are a blessed people when we can open up our Bibles and read your law and learn from them of how to live our lives pleasing to you. Lord, forgive us at times when we go against those things that are written. Forgive us when we try to obey these laws and these words on our own merit. Lord, help us to see that we cannot do this ourselves. Lord, even these young people that are here tonight, help them not to fall into that trap of thinking that if they're good and if they obey and even if they show up here that that is enough, Lord, we pray that they would see their sin for what it is, that great divide from you in heaven. Lord, we pray that this evening salvation would come to this house, that even a lost sinner would see the law of God and delight upon it. Lord, we pray that you would continue to meet with us, encourage us. Even for those watching at home, we pray that you would lift them up in their spirits also, O Lord. And may they know you as their great and glorious God. We ask these things in and through Christ's precious name. Amen. Due to time this evening, I think we'll stand and sing the doxology together as we close our service. So let's stand and sing together the doxology.
people of God, receive the Lord's blessing from his holy word. The grace of 